Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I believe one of the things that Israel teaches us, because God didn't write these things for us to bag on them or look down upon them, but to teach us. He says these things are written for your admonition. One of the things we learned from Israel is that it was compromised in the good time that brought them into defeat. It was always when things were good that they would start messing up. And so sometimes when the war is on, that's when we're doing our best. We're praying, we know we need God, so there's a holiness about it, we're seeking the Lord. Many times when we need something from God, that's the purest time in your life. Have you ever hit the cruise control in your life? Have things ever been going so well that you forget about the bad times? Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that no one is immune from the storms that come and go. When life is going well and you don't have any worries, concerns, or fears, use that as an opportunity to praise God. Whether you follow Jesus or not, the bad times will come and you need to let Him guide you through it. Stop putting all the pressure on your shoulders and let God carry the weight. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. No matter what they've done, no matter how long it's been, when they cry out, God answers every single time. That is an amazing thing about the God of the Bible. It separates him from every other God. God, God punishes. He's a father. He, but when they cry out, God says, all right, that's all I was waiting for you to get. I was waiting for it to get real. I was waiting for it to get real enough for you to cry out. I'm here. I still love you. Yes, you've forsaken me. Yes, you've disobeyed me. Yes, you've cheated on me. Yes, you've gone after other gods. Yes, you've defiled you. But, but now that you're crying out, I'm listening. That, that's only the God of the Bible, you guys. That, that he is so merciful and so gracious. Nobody else does that. Nobody else offers us that, that level of, I'm, I'm going to be there for you no matter what. We don't have people in our life that are that faithful. God says, when you cry out, I'm listening. And, and maybe some of us here have things that God is saying, you need to cry out about that. I'll listen. You cry out, I'm listening. I'm all ears. I'm all ears for my, my kids. Uh, I love my kids. You might, you know, when you hear those babies cry back there, every mother in here, their mothers in here, they, 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 they go like this. They know which one is theirs. They know their baby. They, 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 there you go. That's mine. They, they go, they go on, they go on. You don't got to call them. They know that, that, not that pitch right there. That's mine. I know it. You know, how do we know that? Because we're in tune. We love them. They're our babies. And when they cry, you can't help yourself. You guys, your baby cry, you go. Right? If you hear your baby cry right now, you mommies, what you going? You're going to be gone. No matter what I'm saying, ain't gonna, what I'm saying is not that good. My baby's crying. I got to go see about it. You know, that's God did that. Right. We're made in his image. And so I just want you to because when there's a cry, you know, this is not a, you know, some of, some of y'all kids cry for nothing. But in general, a cry is a cry is a little more emphatic than a, you know, a murmur. You know, you heard him talking. You wouldn't be as moved. But a cry is like, is he hurt? Something breaking? Something happened to him? I got to go. I got to go find that out first so I can relax, you know. God is, we're made in his image. So when you think about that, right, when you cry out, God's like, I'm, I'm listening. And, and I'm, I'm able to determine, God's able to determine and detect by, by our prayer that this is heavy on their heart. This is a great concern. They're moved by this and I care. And so um, I'm just encouraging us that in the areas where we need to be fervent, we would be fervent. You know, uh, we, should, we, need, we have a lot of things we need to pray about, but there are things that God would say, I want you to be fervent in prayer about that. We've been planning and praying about starting a ministry here to, to reach out to and minister to those that are struggling with addictions. And that's one as I've been praying, the Lord was like, you, you need to attack this in prayer. You know, this is 
It's these people, they're in bondage. Satan has them. They need to be delivered. They need to be, you're not, that's not going to be natural. We ain't AA. Um, this God's, I, I believe that God is able to really set some people free. I believe those are the people that Jesus, when he were here walking around, he'd go after them. He would find them and he would love them and he would minister to them. And what a testimony to his goodness that people that were in bondage like that could be completely free, completely delivered. I think of the man that was in the tombs. He was demon possessed. He was cutting himself. And, and when the Lord met him, it says that he was, then he was clothes on, sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And I envision, I envision people sitting here that, you know, with clothes on and, you know, all their clothes on and in their right mind, just sitting under the word and growing as the Lord just apprehends their hearts. But that's not natural. That's supernatural. God's got to invade hearts. God's got to bind the enemy. God's got to move. And so, you know, maybe they're loved ones that you know, you know they need God's intervention. God's like, well, quit praying basic prayers. Cry out. Cry out to me about them. Make it an issue of your heart. Be fervent about it. They cried out. The Lord heard. Again, verse 9. When the children of Israel cried out, the Lord um, raised up a deliverer. Each of these judges, the word judge literally means deliverer. And he raises up a deliverer uh, for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel. This is the first judge. In this chapter, we're going to be introduced to three judges. Othniel is the first one, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. And so, you know, Othniel comes from a family of faithful, a family of giant killers, a family of, of men of God. And so at, at this point, Othniel is going to be the guy that God raises up. A uh, couple quick things. We can't find this in scripture, but it's it's in um, Josephus was one of the secular historians of the day that we take information from about the time frame and who was alive and what they were doing. And so a lot of the Bible characters, we can look at the secular historian Josephus and find that it lines up with the Bible. You know, he doesn't validate the Bible, but there are things that run concurrent between Josephus and what we read in scripture. And so he says that Othniel was about 91 years old when this took place. That's an old guy. Like we've said before with some of the other old guys that God was using, right? At 91, if that be the case, um, this guy was still being called upon. God's like, I'm not done. I still got assignments for you. Um, and so I would encourage everybody here. I think that the lie of the, the, lie of the enemy to young people is, I'm going to serve God later after I have some fun. And the lie of God to the older people is that you're done. They don't want to listen to you. He lies to everybody. He's a liar. You need to listen to the Lord. The Lord told Othniel, hey, bro, I got something for you. Now, Othniel, if you guys remember, he's related to his, his, his son is the one that went to war. And remember when Caleb said, whoever wants my daughter, whoever wants my daughter, you got to go out there and win. So that's Othniel's family members that are out there. So he's living where there's springs everywhere. He's he living in a, in, in a resort type area. He's in the valley. He got upper streams and lower streams at 91 years old, living in a vacation like setting. He's like, but I'm about that. I'm still about this life. And so if I get called upon by the Lord to go deliver some folk, I'm, I'm all ears and God can still call upon him at, at that age. And so he, he, he he's going to be the guy that God uses to do this. Um, look at verse 10. Othniel is uh, up until this point in scripture. We've heard the spirit of God come upon people. Uh, this is the first time that the wording has changed just a bit. In verse 10, it says the spirit of the Lord, all caps, the spirit of Jehovah God um, came upon him. Now, it's the same spirit in both cases, but it's just worth noting. This is the first time instance in scripture where um, instead of God just saying the spirit of God, he says, look, it's literally the spirit of Jehovah God, the God, the covenant God of Israel. His spirit came upon Othniel and he judged Israel. 
He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan, Rashathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand. I'm sorry. And his hand prevailed over Cushan, Rashathim. I'll say this again. What gave him the strength to do it? If in case if if the, if it's true that he was actually 91 years old, uh, even back then, that was that's 91 years old. ain't never going to be young. And so. This is an older gentleman, right? But God called upon him. He went. He was going to be the deliverer. But it said something real important before he stepped out. It said that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Then he went out. Then he did it. That's all the difference in the world. Sometimes it's the weak that God says, I could do so much more with this person, right? I wonder what the enemies thought. I wonder what, you know, Kushan, Risathium, what did he think? What did double evil think when he saw this 91-year-old fella coming? What you going to do? I mean, I wonder what that looked like. This old guy coming like, what is what are you going to do? You know, but the whole the spirit of the living God was upon him. And that made all the difference. God was going to do it through him. It's such a powerful thing. Right. Every believer in here has the spirit of God in them. Um, we need to ask for and pray that the Lord would pour out his spirit upon us. And when you think about the Holy Spirit upon us, it's really this. I know the spirit is in me, but that the spirit have me. That's, that would be the difference of the spirit upon me. Every believer has a spirit in them. But does the spirit have you? Does the spirit of God possess you, your life? Can he move you? Can he lead you? Can he speak to you when you obey him? Does he move through your life and power? It's a cooperative effort. Someone that you can't pray, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And then live in rebellion. When you pray, Lord, baptize me in the power of your spirit. It's, it's, an, it's, it's assuming that as you lead, I will yield. As you convict, I will stop. God, I'm going to allow you to work powerfully through me. Othniel was used mightily of the Lord because he was a man of God. He was a man of faith. He had a great spiritual heritage. Despite the weakness of his age, um, the spirit of God was upon him. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so um, one lesson that we could all take from his life is in the same way that the thing God wanted to do through him required God's power. The thing God wanted to do to the early church was going to require God's power. God told the early believers not to leave Jerusalem until Acts 1-8, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, then you're going to have power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Don't leave here until you get that. Because you by yourself are not enough. You need my power. And the same will be true for every believer here tonight. For the things that God is calling us to do, God's not calling me and you to do it in our own strength. He's saying, let me empower you. I'll, I will pour out my spirit upon your life if you will yield to me. I will empower you that what you can never do without me, you will be able to do through me. Um, and in the same way that he has an amazing victory, he delivers God's kids. And it wasn't really I don't believe it was his strength. I believe it was God's power upon him. There are things that God wants to do through us and it won't be of us. We won't be bragging afterwards, uh, but we'll be recognizing God's power, God's faithfulness on our lives. And so moving on, it says um, in verse 11. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And so uh, after he you know, delivered them, um, when they cried out, they had rest for 40 years. So it went good for 40 years. It seems like the trend is until the judge that delivers them dies, they do OK. But when he dies, it seems like almost as soon as these guys die, they go back and do it again. Like they were waiting like as long as he long as he was here, long as that testimony was there, long as long as he was here, kind of, I don't know, maybe had to hold us accountable or whatever. We, we, we continue. But as soon as he dies, they go back. Look at verse 11 now. I'm sorry, verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, 
against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So another pagan king, Eglon, his name literally means we're going to find out that he's a, a very he's a very fat guy. Um, his name, Eglon, it literally means uh, it's, it's like it's the idea is an egg shape. That is something something fat, something round. That's that's the idea of his name. And it says he was a king of Moab. Moab were considered cursed people. Um, over in the psalm, it said, Moab is my wash pot, which is a toilet bowl. Um, and so, but because they did evil in the sight of the Lord, God allows this, this fat king to oppress them. And Eglon, we're going to see, is a picture of the flesh. Um, the flesh is, is just, it cannot be satisfied. It cannot be quenched. It just, that's what his life is a picture of. And now he reigns over the people of God. Then he got, it says in verse 13, then he gathered to himself the people of uh, and Amalek and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. And so he got a couple other kings with him. Eglon did. And he went and defeated the children of Israel um, and took possession of the city of Palms, which is a, a beautiful area there. And again, why did this happen? Why did they lose this battle? Why did they get taken over by the enemy? Because they wouldn't obey God because they were out there worshiping pagan gods. And God said, OK, I'm going to let you guys feel it again. Um, and so as we read this, and we look at Israel and this pattern of they go on. You know, we got to be reminded this is like our lives. And some of you guys' life might be in that cycle where it's like, man, I mess up and I, I cry out and God forgives me and it's good for a while. I'm doing really good. I'm going to church and reading my Bible. And then eventually I go out with my old friends again or I get back caught up in this circle and, and, and start the cycle all, all over again. God would break us out of the cycle in a permanent way. That's the will of God. God doesn't want us stuck in some circular trend where we go, our walk with the Lord is just like some, some, some out of control thing where it's good, it's bad, it's terrible, it's good, it's bad, it's terrible. God wants there to be a consistency about our walk and relationship with him. But that's really determined by us. Uh, we determine, you know, do we walk steadily with the Lord? I know people that the entire time I've known them, they've just kind of been steady with the Lord. They've had trials and tribulations and ups and downs and warfare and this, that, and the other, but they've been pretty steady. 40, you know, the whole time that I've known them. I know other people that has been all over the place. You know, it's like, I, I don't, right now, I don't know if they are saved. Last year, they looked like they were pretty saved. Right now, it's in question and their life just kind of goes back and forth like that. And um, we don't want that to be the case. How do we get out of that cycle? I believe one of the things that Israel teaches us, because God didn't write these things for us to bag on them or look down upon them, but to teach us. He says, these things are written for your admonition. One of the things we learned from Israel is that it was compromised in the good time. That brought them into defeat. It was always when things were good that they would start messing up. And so sometimes when the war is on, that's when we're doing our best. We're praying. We know we need God. So there's a holiness about it. They're seeking the Lord. Many times when we need something from God, that's the purest time in your life. Um, and sometimes what can happen is when things are going great, that can be sometimes the most dangerous time for a believer when everything is going well. We're having victory. Things are going well. Have everything I need. I'm actually in the plus. That can be the time when it's like, you know, we can start to become self-reliant. We can self, we can, we can begin to believe somehow we did this on our own. We can start to think that eh, I'm, I'm, I'm been, I can, I can handle a little more now. I can, I can go back into some of those things I used to do and we can start messing up. I've, I've watched this happen. I've watched people that were delivered from bad things, get into a great place and then decide, I think I can handle that now. And then they jump right back into something that takes them all the way down. I've watched it. Uh, it's a bummer every single time. And so what do we take from them is we want to be careful in the times of, of victory. When, when things are good, 
Be careful when the times are good. That's why worship is so important. That's why regular fellowship is so important. I, when things are good, I, I got a lot to thank God for. I need to be thanking him. I need to stay humble. Uh, I need to continue to be in the book. One thing that happens if you stay in the word of God is no matter how good things are, you stay in the word of God and you know that God wants to do more. There's always, there's, there's always a sense that, man, things are going great, but God wants to do more. That's the sense you get as you stay in the word. You step away from the word, start judging yourself by other people, uh, start judging the new you compared to the old you, and you'll start feeling like, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm good enough right now. This is good enough. I'm going to stop right here. But you'll never come away from the word saying there's nothing else to shoot for. You'll spend, you spend enough time in the word, you'll come away saying there's, you know, there's more. There's more God wants to do here. I'm not done yet. I got some stuff. I'm still working through some things. Staying close to Jesus will keep you aware of how flawed you still are, even when you're doing great. Because um, on our best day, everybody here knows, on your best day, still some things ain't right. I mean, on my best day, read my word, pray, witness, love on folk. For, I mean, on my best, best day, I got some jacked up thoughts. Just still, still in there. There's, there's still something in me that's not exactly like Jesus. And I would be lying if I didn't say this. It's, it's, I, ain't, I, I don't know that I have a day where it's like, you know what, this day, there was... I, not a single, not a nothing. I didn't see nothing. There's nothing in my, my day. Today was just like Jesus in every way. I don't believe so. I believe that I'm always going to be a work in progress. But the work should remain in progress. And that's, that's the important part. So moving on now. So Eglon, this king is now, um, he took them, uh, he, he took two kings with him, uh, the king of Ammon and Amalek, and they went and they defeated him. And they also took possession of the city of Palms. Verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, King of Moab, 18 years. Now, last time, it was eight years. This time, 18 years. And we'll see as we continue through the book, the time varies that they remain under the oppression of these other people. But 18 years. Now, why did it, why did it take 10, now 18 years? That's, that's a long time. That's a, that's a long time. That's, a, I mean, that's my daughter's lifetime. 18 years it took them before they finally said, maybe we should cry out to God. And again, my mind would think like, why wouldn't you cry out immediately? You know, I think of that when I think of the book of Jonah, you know, three days and three nights. Didn't he pray I, I, immediately? I mean, I don't know. You know, if I had been that dumb in the first place, that rebellious to be thrown overboard and then I don't die because God's not ready for me to die. And God prepares a great fist to swallow me whole. I'm thinking I'm in the ocean. Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed up. Lord, if there's, a, if there's some way that you'd be merciful to me now, immediately three days, one night, maybe the first night. Down in the ocean, in the belly of some great fish, in the midst of whatever that atmosphere was like, not not didn't break one for day one didn't break him. I wonder if he wasn't just committed to die, and he was just sitting in the, the stomach saying, "Okay, I'm not dying yet." Day two, I still not dying yet, and I don't know what finally made him break. But day three, he finally said, "Okay, okay," you know, and he prayed and he repented, and God vomited him out three days. I'm gonna just say this because I've I've seen it, I've done it, and I've seen it. Some of us can be really stubborn and hard-hearted with the Lord, with other people, at different times, different things. We can be very stubborn. And that's what Jonah represents. Three days, that's stubbornness. That's just stubbornness. 18 years, that's rebellion. That's what happens when you fall away from the Lord. You don't know what to do in times of trouble. You've forgotten. you distance yourself from the Lord. You've forgotten who to cry out to. Maybe in that 18 years, they become so much like the world around them. Maybe they're begging, you know, Eglon, please have mercy on us, praying to the enemy, asking him to be nice. I know 
believers. And I'll talk to them, be trouble at work. And it's like, yeah, I got this meeting with my boss, and I'm going to meet with my boss, and I'm really hoping that if I'm going to talk to my boss, they're going to you know, let me be. And I'm like, do you pray? You got a lot of faith in your boss. And you ain't prayed. I mean, that's but that's you get you get in the world long enough, and that becomes your mentality. Like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the man, the person in charge, the people. Forget about them. You know who's in charge of our life? The Lord. The Lord is in charge, and we go we go to the Lord for everything, above and beyond people. You know, I love the proverb that says, "The hearts of the king; those are in the people in authority over us." So the hearts of the kings are in His hands, and like the rivers of water, He turns it wherever He wishes. God says, "I'm sovereign over those that look like they're in charge of you. Nobody's in charge of you. I'm in charge of you." So when somebody shuts a door on me, I never be mad at nobody shut a door on me. You can't shut a door on me that God didn't let you shut. I don't have to, you know, nose behind somebody to get a door open, right? God says, I open doors and no man shuts. And I shut doors and no man opens. If the door opens, God opened it. I might thank you. You might be the hand on the knob to open it or shut it, but the Lord did it. And I will glorify him for you. Glorify God for shut doors just the same as open doors because sometimes God says I know you think you want that but that's not what I want for you and so I shut the door and you receive that from the Lord he's in charge he's sovereign that would free us as people if we would realize that I'm just under God I'm under the Lord and so yes I have a boss I respect them I speak well to them I obey you know I'm submissive and everything else but I look to the Lord I look right above them to the Lord the Lord is my keeper he keeps me and so again here 18 years before they are going to cry out to the Lord. And yeah, I just, I look at it and again, I just, I wonder what, why did it take 18 years other than they just had settled in to what was happening? Verse 15 now, it says, but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, again, they cried out, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, the, um, a left-handed man. Now this is important here. Benjamin, uh, my son's name is Benjamin. The name Benjamin means son of my right hand. Um, the tribe of Benjamin, interestingly, had a, a whole branch of left-handed warriors. This would be one of them. Now, at this time and at this era, it was considered a curse to be left-handed. It wasn't like today. Today, if you got a little kid that's left-handed, they go to school and they have the lefty scissors. And the lefty, you know, they, they well, they're supposed to. You know, they, they're supposed to have things to help them out. I had, I had a teacher go, no, they don't, you know. Not in my school district, you know. But uh, they, got, they got things that help them along or whatever, you know. But in this era, um, you know, they didn't make a lefty sword or weapon or whatever. It was, a, it was considered a curse. You were a left-handed person in a right-handed world. Um, particularly if you're going to be a, a warrior or some man that fights. It was, a, it was a, a, a different thing. But just like today and with boxing, right? Most boxers are, they train to fight with people whose power punches their right hand. But when you get a southpaw, usually they're at an advantage because most guys they fight are used to fighting right-handed fighters. People whose power come from the right hand. So when they switch it up and they're, the hand that's normally the jab is a power punch, is jacking them up. They're like, why are they hitting me so hard with that hand? They, they got it's an adjustment they're not ready for. That's what's going to end up happening here. And so I, I look at this guy, Ehud, who's going to, God's going to raise him up to be the deliverer. And I look at his life and think, wow, something that was maybe a difficult thing most of his life today, on this moment here, God's going to use what was perceived maybe as a weakness before this day to, to use him in a powerful way to deliver Israel from 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 Eglon, from this this wicked king, and so um, it said, God raised the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, a, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon of of king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger; it was double-edged and a cubit in length, 
He fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington with a transforming word. We know you didn't have to come today to hear from the book of Judges. You could have easily switched channels or moved on with your day, doing other things. But you did choose to tune in, and for that, we're grateful. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Los Angeles, California. If you found these messages helpful and encouraging, why not listen to more? You can find these teachings at calvaryinglewood.org. Just look under the teaching tab. You can also download our mobile app to have these messages with you wherever. Another resource on our website is a daily Bible reading plan that might interest you. You'll also find links to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So head over to calvaryinglewood.org for all the information you need. And if you still haven't found what you're looking for, just call or text us. Our number is 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. If you're wondering about a way you could contribute to the ministry here at A Transforming Word, we greatly value your prayers and financial support if you feel led to do so. On calvaryinglewood.org, you'll find a Give tab that helps you know how to proceed. Thank you for your support. We hope you come back here next time as you quickly notice the effects of a transforming word.